I'm, I'm nervous about some of you guys throwing axes. She said, I don't want any stories. There will be. <laughs> that guy that throws it like into the fencing. We're going to tell his story. You know what I'm saying? Well, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Come on, can we honor all the dads here today? Why don't the dads stand up just because? Yeah, come on, you got to clap for these guys. On behalf of all the dads, they put up with a lot, man. They do. All right, you can sit down now. Somebody said, why you don't have a picture thing for the dad? Because dads don't want to do that. Because dads don't. You're, you notice as soon as I said, that's right, that's right. Everybody's in on that. Well, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And today is your day. I hope you eat a big slab of meat. I hope you get a good nap. And everyone leaves you alone. You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen? Just evacuate the house. Everybody just leave. Just go. Sit in that recliner and just go. Just go. Anyway, happy Father's Day to all the dads. I, d I love days like this. And um, I got a message I want to share today, especially uh, about fathers. It's not necessarily just to fathers, but it is, uh, it's about fathers. And I, I, think, uh, I think it's going to speak something to your heart today. And how about that last song, man? I saw a few of you tearing up, and that was, that was just the guys. And so, uh, anyway, we're going to share a little bit. Let's jump in Luke chapter 15, and then we're going to unpack this and share it. This is a familiar set of scriptures here today. This is a story of the prodigal son. Anybody ever heard that story before about the prodigal son? Let's dive in. Uh, chapter 15 of Luke, verse 11, it says, A man had two sons. I have two sons. A man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. I'm trying to evaluate that whole sentence right there. Like, did he have that good of a relationship with his dad that he felt like he can ask that? Or was he just that bad of a kid? I don't know, but that's, that's gutsy, man. So his father agreed. That's how you know mom wasn't around. Okay. That is interesting. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money and wild living. It was wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. Did he realize what he was getting into when he asked the farmer to hire him? That's hard work. Like, this guy didn't put in an application at the Gap. I mean, he went, like, to a farmer. That's desperate, man. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Mm. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Remember that line, but no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, 
And I want you to remember that too. When he came to his senses, the first thing he said was, at home. Mm. At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go where? I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired hand. So he returned home to his father. Watch this. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Watch this. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Dad's throwing the party now. Kill the fattened calf. Let's eat. Such a powerful story. Most of us have heard about the prodigal son. And there's a couple of perspectives in here today that I want to highlight and just share with you that I believe is literally going to awaken. Uh, It's going to open our eyes to see how good God is and how good God can be to each and every one of us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for this day to gather, to worship to receive from your word. And today we recognize all the fathers, the dads that have played that role of leading, that have played the role of teaching and showing us how to be men. But Father, there is none as good as you. And we're so thankful that you're our heavenly Father who loves us beyond comparison, who is good in ways that we haven't even come up with yet. And Father, I just pray today that as we share this message from your word, we will see how incredibly good you are. And my prayer is that we will always run to you, no matter what the situation is. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So the prodigal son is one of the more popular parables. And it's this powerful story of redemption and um, restoration. And I think when you look at it, when you look at a story like this, it makes you begin to consider not just who this son was that asked for this inheritance, but it makes you begin to consider yourself and who you are and how you think. But it also makes you look at the father, the dad in this story, and just wonder, how in the world is he that good? Because, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but not every parent is sitting there killing the fat calf whenever the kid who ran away and spent all the money comes home. You know what I'm saying? Like, we'll have a talk in the living room. Y'all know? Like, and this dad just skipped that whole thing. I'm sure he had plans to have a talk. But that wasn't the initial reaction. The initial reaction was, he's home, he's alive, let's throw a party. But I wonder after all the cleanup of the party was done, what took place. I just have to think there was some kind of discussion. Um, When I read this story, though, I do consider parents who do have children that are away from God. I have friends in my life, their sons, their daughters are away from God. And um, 
that that is one of the heaviest feeling I think that a parent can carry. And perhaps you're a dad in here today and, and your child is away from God. I want you to know we're standing with you in prayer, believing just like this prodigal son came home. We're believing your child will come home. Amen. And I'm just talking about your house because you probably don't go to my house. <laughs> go to yours, but we want him to come to the father's house. Amen. And so, um, but again, I, I, I pray that as we share this today, we realize how good the father is. So I'm going to tell you a little story today, a couple little stories. And, um, I'm privileged to have a really awesome dad, just a really good dad. My dad's super emotional. In fact, if he's watching this right now, he's probably punching his leg, tearing up, uh, just cause he gets super emotional. Uh, about things, and I like that about my dad. You know what I'm saying? If you want to know how he's feeling, he will show it to you, and uh, that's that makes things easy. You know what I'm saying? Because some dads are un- unpredictable, you know, and that that could be tough on a child in their teen years trying to figure out where we at. Like, are we good or not? You know, but like when they're predictable, you know exactly where you are. And uh, so, um, I have three brothers. Okay, one older brother. His name is Jason. We call him Diesel. And then I have two younger brothers, Ryan and then Blake. And um, my dad did not believe in paying his children an allowance. My dad didn't believe in it. And can I just tell you, at my house, we don't believe in it either. Okay? And if you do that, hey, you do you, boo, okay? But at the Moran house, that didn't work. And... uh. And right now, some child is sitting there squirming because they feel like their allowance is about to get pulled. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Um, So my dad had this belief that living at his house and eating his food and my mom washing our clothes was our allowance. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're you're lucky if you get that. And, and, And please, don't mistake my dad. Don't think he's a bad guy because he rolled that way. That's just... I mean, we had money allocated, let's say it that way. All the cash was allocated for all the bills and, um, and all the food that these four boys were putting down. Can I tell you, we ate a lot of food, man. And, and if you have teenage boys, you know, it just, there's an endless pit. They just keep eating and eating and want some more, man. And, uh, and so we did that to my parents. We ate a lot. And so we had uh, chores to do. And I'm not just talking about one or two chores. I'm talking about all the chores. Like, my dad was a master of delegation. <laughs> master of it. And, and he would just tell us, this needs to be done, that needs to be done, no questions asked, do it before I get home from work today. That's just how it worked. And some of you say, how did he do that? He enforced it. He used the power of no <laughs> and other options. We're not going to get into that today because I don't want to hurt anybody. Um, so um, that was just expected part of being in our family. You had chores to do. We all in this thing together. We're going to knock it out. And then we go do what we want to do. That's how we roll. And that's how we roll at our house. We all work on it together. And when we're done, then we get to do the things that we want to do. And so um, now here's the thing. When you were young, you weren't getting any allowance. And so you needed cash to go do some things with some friends. Uh, can I tell you, I didn't grow up in the family with the preloaded debit card. They didn't have debit cards then. They didn't have cell phones. But my dad did not believe in a preloaded debit card. Okay? It was, we'll see. 
How many of y'all had the dad that had the classic line of, we'll see? How many dads in here are using that line still to this day? Come on, put your hands together for all the dads pulling the we'll see. Hey, that's a measuring tool. That's a gauge. Don't mess with our gauge. We got to see where you at at the time. Because if it ain't working, you ain't getting none. And then we'll probably come up with another chore for you to do. Anyway, this message will be biased a little bit towards dads today. Just supposed to be, okay? Uh, so when you needed some money from, you know, when you needed money to go do things with your friends and you grew up in my house, you had to go through my dad. If you went to my mom, she would say, you have to ask your dad that. And you can work her all day long, ask her every question under the sun, but it was standard operating procedure in our house that if you wanted something, you had to go to your dad. Now, I will say this. My three brothers aren't here, but I can say it anyway because they know it's true. I was my dad's favorite. <laughs> I was. And I'll prove it to you. I, will prove, I have proof. This isn't just me feeling good about myself. The proof is this. Whenever any of us wanted anything, I was always elected and selected to go to my dad to ask for it because they knew if I asked for it, I was probably going to get it. And if there's anything that points to favoritism, that's it, my friends. Okay? That is it. So I was always the one that had to approach the father to ask for whatever... It was, and um, especially when it was money. And so my, my older brother and I, we're about a year and a half apart, and then there's five years between myself and my next set of brothers, okay? And then they're a year and a half apart. So my older brother and I, I always asked for money because most of the time we were doing things together, and so I had a little, negotiate, a little negotiating skills then, and I always asked just extra because it's two of us. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes dad just want to slip you a five and it's like, there's two, bro. And we're eating like men. So help us out. And so, so many different things they would get me to go and ask dad for. And um, I don't ever recall a time asking my dad for money that he said no. Like I was sitting in my office the other day trying to think about, did dad ever tell me no for money? Like mom did all the time, every time, anytime. And don't even ask your dad because he don't have any. <laughs> Oh, that's what you think. <laughs> I would start with a line like this. Dad, mom said you don't have no. Wait, what, what she said? She said you don't have no money. Your mama don't know what I got. <laughs> and I'd say, Dad, I need some money. He's like, how much you need? I'll take a 20. He's like, here you, how much else you need? And it was just you had to know how to ask the questions. You just have to know, man. Some of you, you don't know. That's why you get a no all the time. I knew how to ask. Um, and so he would give me the money, but this is, this is what he would say. You better bring me the change. Every time. You better bring me the change, which means don't spend it all and come back with some. That's what it meant every single time. And so I would come back to bring him the change and say, Dad, Thank you for loaning me some money. He said, loan, you ain't got no job. Uh, well, thank you for giving me some money. I am now returning your change. And you know what he would say? Keep it till next time. Now, my son Judah has these incredible negotiating skills as well. Because what he will do is come back to me and say, Dad, 
like the next day, Dad, I need some money. I'm going with my friends. Thinking that I forgot that he still had change left over from yesterday. And so when I would ask my dad that, he would say, hey, don't you, don't you have some change left over? Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And so I would use it, use the change that I, left over, that I had left over. And what he was trying to do was teaching me to have, he was trying to teach me to have a, a savings plan, but all I had was a spending plan. You know what I'm saying? Like he was trying to teach me savings, but all I had in mind was spending. And so dad solved that problem for me. I can't speak for my other brothers, but I remember this very clearly. My dad went out on a limb and got me a job. I was 14 years old. I was about to go into high school, and I remember my dad. It was a Sunday night. This was during the Sunday night service at church. We went to church Sunday morning. Sunday night, 5.30 service was rowdy. I just have to let you know. And then Wednesday night was youth group, okay? And so at the 5.30 service, after it was over, my dad walks me up to a man named Daryl Crawford, and my dad's got my hand, his hand on my shoulder, and he said, I want you to meet Mr. Daryl Crawford. Tomorrow morning at 6.30 a.m., you will begin working for Mr. Daryl Crawford painting houses. I ain't never painted before in my life. The last time I painted was watercolors in middle, I mean, like in, in kindergarten, not middle school. No. Nah. Like early morning, 6.30. This is during the summer, y'all. Like while all, all our kids are sleeping in, no, 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 no. Jimmy lined me up a job. <laughs> and what I didn't realize was what kind of job this was. Because most of you, your kids get what's called a part-time job, which means they work sometime. My dad got me what I would call an all-the-time job. <laughs> where it was like 6.30 until the guy said, okay, we're done for the day. Yeah. And so I was making money and I was so tired, I couldn't even go spend the money that I was making. You know what I'm talking about? And so the days of asking dad for money were gone. It's like my dad got a raise <laughs> because none of my brothers were going to ask him for money. They were asking me for loans. <laughs> but I was never home to give it to him. I was working all the time. And so I no longer needed to ask dad for money because I had a job and I had a job ever since then and I remember um, a couple of years after Cynthia and I were married we had some things that happened to us just like everybody does that set you back financially anybody know what I'm talking about like when you first get married and the washing machine breaks that's a tough day because the extra money you had for any type of entertainment or anything that's that's just gone you know what I'm saying because you gotta wash your clothes like you got to and uh and so we, we were strapped financially, and uh, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do. And so Cynthia is leaning on me, like, what you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Fellas, y'all know that move? <laughs> what you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know what else to do. I work all the time. You work all the time. Everything's breaking. I don't know. And so it was getting, it was getting desperate, desperate times, desperate measures. So I said, I'm going to go talk to my dad. And she's like, you can't do that. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm going to go talk to my dad. I remember Thursday afternoon. Went over to my dad's. And I said, Dad, I need to talk to you about something. You know, you're, you're, you're hesitant. Because you, you want your dad to know that you made it. And that you're not struggling. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, if you are struggling, if you don't ask him, you're in deep trouble. And so, like, either way you go, this isn't good. 
Like if I ask you, I don't want to bring embarrassment to my dad, but if I don't ask him, he's going to be mad at me. I'm stuck. And so, you know, you beat around the bush a little bit before you finally ask him. Like, man, the weather's hot. Woo. How's work going, man? How's the guys treating you out there at the job? You know, just trying to small talk. You like what you want. And then you're stuck. You're in that position as a dad, I have to be honest. Um, right now, financially, it's pretty tough, and I don't, I don't know what to do. And uh, we tried to figure everything out, and it's just not, it's not working. And so, what you need, how much you need? I said, if you can give me $300, we can make it to the end of the month. And at the end of the month, I'll come and bring you your $300 back. And so, that was, uh, that was humbling. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I, didn't want, I didn't want my dad to have to worry about me. I wanted him to know that he raised the kind of son that was going to make it. You know, and, and if you're a guy in here, you're feeling it. You know what I'm talking about. And so, uh, so dad pulls out the dad's stash of cash in his wallet that mama didn't know about. She's learned about it, but still doesn't have access to it, by the way. So don't fear that I let his secret out. Okay, it still exists. And um, so he said, I'll give you the money. Promised him I'll bring it back. And so the end of the month came, and I went to bring Dad his $300 back. And you know what he told me? He said, keep it. You're going to need it. And I thought of that story in the same context of this prodigal son story because the father to the prodigal son was a giver. It's evident. It's evidence. I mean, I, again, I am not going to give my kids their inheritance early. Just not going to happen. I love you, but no. I read the Bible. I'll see what happens. Okay? We ain't going to do that. I mean, let's just be obvious and learn the lessons. Okay? Um, I thought of that line, though, when he asked his dad for the inheritance. I mean, is there anything that says, Dad, hurry up and die? Like asking for his inheritance. So I begin to look at this story just trying to figure out the relationship that they have. And all of us in here, we have different kinds of relationships with our dads. I've been blessed to have a really close relationship with my dad. Some of you, you may not have a close relationship with your dad. Some of you may have lost your dad. And it brings all the different emotions. And when we talk about dads, man, it gets really interesting because that's like a, um, a sensitive topic to talk about. Am I right? I remembered this story when I was um, a teen pastor for a high school back in Louisiana. There was this young man that played on the football team. He was a running back. Really good. Really good running back. And um, when we were on the sidelines, I noticed that when he wasn't in the game, he was constantly looking in the stands. And I thought he was looking for his girlfriend. And I was like, hey, bud, you need to get your head in the game. You know what I'm saying? Don't worry about all that right now. Get your head in the game. Only to find out a few games into the season that he wasn't looking for his girlfriend. He was looking for his dad. And I remember this conversation one Friday afternoon at pregame meal. I was sitting with him. And he asked me, he said, I want you to pray with me. He said, it's my senior year. I only got a couple of games left. And I want, I want my dad to come and watch me play. He's never watched me play football before. And I want my dad to come and watch me play. Man. 
I didn't grow up with that experience. My parents were at everything, like showed up, like just there and loud. You know what I'm saying? Loud. Here we are. And uh, so I pray with that young man. And uh, so I understood now when he was off the field, he would look up there. And I mean, this kid was really good, really good, like make the newspaper kind of good, getting recruited kind of good. And uh, one day we were talking and he told me, he, he said, this is what drives me. He said, if I can, if I can make the paper, my dad will read it and see that I'm actually good and come watch me play. What is that, man? Senior night, last game. We're not going to make the playoffs, and he's watching. And his dad didn't show up. Broke my heart, broke his heart. Relationships with dad, y'all, are powerful and strong. In fact, statistically, a lot of things going on in our world today is the result of a father or the lack of one. It is. And at some point, we got to see that and recognize that. We got to pray about this, but we also got to do something about this. Because there's a lot of kids growing up that need a dad. In fact, there's a lot of adults that have grown up that need a dad. And I'm not trying to cast doom on us today, but I do have to mention it. And all of these things point to our need for the Father. All of it points to our need for the Father. And what's so interesting is that in the world that we live in, when we begin to talk about God, He is not always viewed as a Father. It's more of a religious figure. And so we, we have settled to compartmentalize all of this, especially God the Father, into a nice religious religion tote. Let's call it a tote, like in your garage. And if you need it, you can go to the tote and get it. But most of the time, you're good. It's like those totes in your garage. You know what I'm saying? You don't need them every day, but you got stuff in there that whenever you decide that we're going to go tubing, those little sand shoes, the little water shoes that you never, ever wear, they're in there. And you told the kids, you better not lose them because I'm not buying you anymore. And that was like four years ago. And, and when they wore a size three and now they're wearing a size 13, you know what I'm saying? You tell them, I ain't buying you any new ones. But I found that we like to compartmentalize God. And the world has done this as well. And really doesn't view God as a father. In fact, God is viewed more as a judge. More as a judge. You know, if you do something wrong, God's going to strike you down with lightning. Y'all know that little phrase. You better watch out. God's going to get you. And so it always puts God in this picture of revenge mode. Come and get you. You do something wrong, I'm going to get you. With the fear that if you say anything other than that, that you give people the license and the freedom to go live and do whatever they want, that there is absolutely no consequence for it. And that is not at all the truth. Because even though God is full of love and mercy and grace, he's still a God of truth. And he's still a God of justice. Amen. And the Bible tells us that loving fathers know how to bring correction to their children. Because they love him. He loves them, okay? 
But in the world we live in, God is not viewed as a father. He is seen as a religious figure. He is viewed as a judge. And you see through the Bible that the people of Israel even, you go all the way back when God started and created everything, had Adam and Eve in the garden. He was hanging out with them like a father would with his children. And then they sinned. And when they sinned, they put the father in the place to now be a judge. Because now God has to bring correction to his kids. But if we don't read the story right, we look, it looks like they got kicked out. And really what God was trying to do was build them. He was trying to help them see that there is a consequence for wrongdoing. But listen, you can see it even in the world we live in today that we can't give consequences anymore. We need to give people chances. And I believe in chances. But if there is no consequence, there's no, part, no pointy chances. Amen? And so God now has to operate as a judge. And you see this with the children of Israel. As you read through the Old Testament, what did God do? He appointed judges to oversee them. And so they have judges. Well, they weren't satisfied with judges because they saw other nations that had this thing called kings. And so now they want a king. And can I tell you, God was never interested in being a king. You see what politics is about. So much fun, am I right? He didn't want to be a king, but the people wanted him to be a king. And there are people that want God to be a judge. And there are people that want God to be a king. And all along, he said, I'm a father. And when you look at Jesus and how he approached everything that he did, he said, I only do what the father told me to do. He always referred to God as what? Father. 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 Over and over, he talked about the relationship with the father. Over and over, the father, the father. So when he tells this story, this parable, you begin to realize where it is coming from. This isn't just a cool fable to give a little moral to the story. He's trying to paint a picture of who God is and who God was always supposed to be, regardless of who we are trying to make him into being. Do you know that there were disciples trying to get Jesus to turn into somebody that God didn't even want him to be? And we do it too. We want God to be this and that. Whatever is going to fix it, whatever is going to make it fine. And God's like, what about you? Who are you going to be? Who are you going to become? And so when you look at this story, you begin to see the context of who God is. But you also see the context of who we can be. Here's the first thing I observed in this story. The son, when he asked for the inheritance, what did he do? He left, the, he left home, and it says he went to where? A distant land. And one of the things about us, we become distant from God. And it's something that when you're in need, you want to get close to God. Hey, God, how you doing? We worship you in this place, going to the prayer meeting, you know, all the stuff. It's 911 in our lives. Got to go run to the Father. I know we're running to the Father. But when everything's fine, we run from the Father. Nowhere around the Father, just running, just running. And when he became distant, this is what I need you to see. Things begin to change in his life. Because this, this guy grew up blessed. Obviously, if his father is dropping his inheritance on him early, I think they did pretty good. You know what I'm saying? I think they were doing all right. And so he grew up blessed. And it was like the blessings, I've got to say this, the blessings of the father just wasn't enough. 
I had to go see what else was out there. Have to go see what else is fun. What else can be? Can we do? What else is going to be exciting? What else is out there? And so there's the distance, the distance from the father, that begin to create issues in the son's life. Where are we at when it comes to our father? And we can ask that about our heavenly father. We can even ask that about our earthly fathers. I know. And it's tough because some of you are like, I ain't calling. If he wants to talk to me, he'll call me. I know. I get it. I get all of that stuff. But I need you to know that distance will create issues. Distance will create issues. Here's the next thing. Because it started out with distance and now it's become desperation. Because he became desperate. Blessed beyond all means. And now broke like a joke. Had it all. He spent it. Wasted it. And the timing of a famine. Just when everything in his life was falling apart. Everything internally was falling apart. What are we going to do? And then boom. The famine hits. And now he's desperate. And now he has to work his way back because he doesn't know if he's going to make it. And he got so low that he was literally eating pig slop. That's low, y'all. But I need you to see that the distance from the father put him in this position. It was the distance from the father. And then this is the part that I thought was so incredibly powerful. He became dismissive. Follow this. I know he came to his senses, but this was his response. And I I, I need y'all to grab this. He realized that the, 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 the servants, the slaves that worked for his father, had better living conditions, better treatment, better everything than what he was living right now. So he said, I could just go home and become one of those servant slaves to my father and live better than this. Here's what's so... Incredible, though, y'all. He lost his perspective of himself. Meaning this. He forgot that he was a son. The distance had put him in such a place that he no longer even recognized himself. That's the danger of running from God. Listen to me. The danger of running from God is you will get to a place that you no longer recognize yourself and you will try to re-identify yourself with someone that you were never, ever meant to be. And so this son, in the place of desperation, he's so far from the father, no longer sees himself as a son and says, I'll just be a slave. And so if he becomes a slave, now his perspective has to turn his father into a master. And it's twisted and it's wrong. And I begin to wonder, is this what's happening in our world? Because there's a distance from the father that the perspective of sons and daughters is changing. And so we got to go find our identity in some kind of thing, in some kind of career, in some kind of position. And so because of that, now we got to turn God into a master that why didn't you take care of me? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And the relationship is broken and it's all because of distance distance but let's flip the coin 
Because even though the son was doing these things, I need you to know the father didn't change. The father didn't turn, meaning this, the behavior of his son did not turn the father into somebody else. This is so important because you and I, we've been in those situations where our behavior turned our dad, our AKA old man into somebody that we didn't want to deal with. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I can't go home. No, I ain't going home. Why not? No, 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 not right now. Because when dad finds out what I did, it's over. My life's over. I believe in resurrection, but it's about to be over. My dad's going to kill me. Anybody ever had those moments where it's like, my dad's going to kill me? When he finds out about this, my dad. I mean, I got so many stories. I can't even tell some of the stories in here. Some of you would put me in counseling so quick. Some of you are like, you still need to go. I know, but man, I got a good dad, okay? This is what I need you to see about the father. The first thing, the father was ready for him. He was always ready for him. And that verse where it says, while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. You know what that tells me? He was looking every day. When Jesus came, what did he say? I came to seek and save the lost. He's been looking for you. He left the 99 to look for the one lost sheep. He's looking. He's ready for you. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to heal. He's ready to restore. He's ready for you to come to him today. He's ready. He's ready. But the question is, are you ready for him? Are you ready for him? And perhaps the distance is telling you that he doesn't want you anymore. Perhaps the distance is telling you that what you've done is too much. It's too bad. You'll never be forgiven. Look what you've done. You've hurt people. You've done this. You've done that. God wouldn't bless you. God wouldn't take you back. The distance. The distance. Sometimes we think it's the devil, and actually it's just the distance. So the father was ready for him. The next thing, the father ran to him. That one line just told me, it just spoke so loudly. It's the father saying, I want you. I need you to know that a dad who's mad, he ain't running to his kid. Come on. I'm sitting right here. And you can come run to me. Come on now. But this father, he got up and saw him in the distance. And when he saw him, he chased his son as his son was running to him. Incredible moment. You've seen those videos of those different members of the military that would come home and surprise the child. Come on, even the dudes in here are crying. Whenever you see those, the dad walks in, sneaks up on his kid in the school band, you know, while he's out there at halftime, they hugging and everything, the cheerleader throwing the pom-poms, you know, the football player losing their mind and everything. It's just something that happens when there is a pursuit from the father. There's just something about it whenever the father begins to pursue you. And I need you to know today, every last one of you, the father is pursuing you. And you may not realize it yet because you're distant, but I need you to know the father is looking because he's ready for you. He is ready for your return. He wants you back. He wants you back. And the father ran to him. 
And finally, the father restored him. I've used this story before in the context of men's meetings, and this is what the guy said. Well, I'm going to tell you what my dad would have done. All right? You know, you know that, that little conversation? Sit down for a minute because it's going to take a little bit. If that would have been me, my dad would have said, now listen here, son. You know that, that little conversation? And many of us have that story. And because of that, that's how we think God rolls. We think that God operates that way. That God in his goodness doesn't know how to handle situations like that. Because he's so broken and hurt and that when we left, he fell off the throne. I need you to know, God didn't fall off the throne when you did what you did. He's still sitting sovereign. It did not deplete his authority. He still has it. Amen? Amen? And you can come to him, and he's not going to turn into somebody that the distance has led you to believe that he is. Because that's not him. And this hinders our worship. Because there's a lot of people that agree with the concept of worship, but will not worship God. Will not show God any worship. Because what's going through their mind the whole time is, I'm not worthy to do this. I'm not worthy to do this. I shouldn't do this. Because this week, I said some words at work. And so I can't come up in here at church and lift my hands and act like everything is fine. We're missing the point. Because worship isn't about your worthiness. It's about His worthiness. Amen? But listen to me. Listen. Listen. Listen, the distance is making you believe this stuff. The distance has put you in a place where you no longer see God. And so your imagination begins to draw up pictures of God. Romans chapter 1. They drew up their own picture of who God was. And as a result, they turned to some pretty wicked things. The distance. And I thought the two most powerful words that were said that made all the difference Whenever the son showed up, because the son, he was coming back to say, hey, make me a slave. But the father responded to him. The first two words, everything changed. He said, my son. Before the son explained anything to him, my son. Before he even got to the, well, you see, dad, what happened was, nah, my son. My son. See, the son decided he was coming home to be a slave, but the father called him my son. And before the son could explain it, break it all down, the father already had an action plan ready to go. He said, get the robe and put it back on him. Because, nah, we don't wear that in our house. Change that, take that off, and get the robe. Get him the clothes that we wear. Remember, Joseph had the coat of many colors from his father. And now this father is saying, put a new robe on the boy because he's home. Put a new robe. Then he says, put a ring on his finger. Put a ring. Meaning now you have the family authority. Because they would take the ring and seal the message the signet in the wax, the ring. He said, put the ring on now. You're, this shows that you have authority. You belong in our family. Then he said, put shoes on his feet. Put shoes, which is a recognition of provision. Provision. Son, you were lost, but now you're home. Put shoes on his feet and let's have a feast. Provision. What did the son do? came home 
heard this at camp. I got to share it with you. Too many people are trying to feel bad their way back to God. Trying to feel bad their way back to God. It's so bad. Oh, it's so bad. What I've done is so bad. God would never, ever forgive me. Maybe God will have mercy. I don't know. And you can't feel bad your way back to God because Jesus has already done something so good. And I share all of this with you today because the answer to what we're missing is Father. It's the Father. In fact, we've been camping out in Matthew chapter 6 the last couple of weeks. Go back and read the whole chapter. It talks about worrying. It talks about all the things we worry about, all the things we worry about. Worrying about this, worry about that. And the answer to every worry was, well, look at the Father, how he clothes the fields. Look at the Father, how he takes care of the birds and feeds the birds. Look at the Father, look at the Father, look at the Father over and over and over. And today, on Father's Day, I just want us to look at the Father. We've spent so much time looking at ourselves and everything that is wrong. We try to disqualify ourselves from God's grace. We try to disqualify ourselves from ever having a relationship with God. In fact, if we even contend that we want a relationship with God, we already foresee how we would ruin it before we even begin it. So why even start it? Missing out that the grace of God is so good that God can help you conquer the very sin that you walk in. Today, the Father is saying this to everyone. He's saying Come home. He's saying, come home. And I know we're saying, I can't go home like this. And I'm here today to tell you, yes, you can. Because you can't fix this. But your father can change this. Today it's time to go to the Father. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You're here today. I know. Perhaps you are evaluating the relationship you have with your dad. Trying to figure out what you're going to do. Maybe it's not a good relationship. Trying to determine, should I call him, should I not? I don't Perhaps you have a good dad and you plan to celebrate him. But perhaps you're shameful about some things that you've done and unsure if you can show your face to the Father, much less even to God. But today I pray that this message helped you to see that God's ready. And he's in position to run after you. If you would just take a step. If you would just take a step. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Wade, there's some distance between me and Father God. There's some distance between me and the Father. And perhaps you have tried to supplement the distance with religion. But you know today, the Father wants you. He doesn't want your show. He wants you. 
If you know that there's distance between you and God today, perhaps you've been running, you've been running. Today, it's time to come home. If that's you, I would just want you to slip a hand up. I'm, I'm distant. It's time to come home. Anyone else? Come on, hands are shooting up all over here. I'm distant. The Father is saying, come home today. The Father is saying, come home. Anyone else? You can put them down. I see them all over the room. Anyone else? i got to come to the Father. I want us all to stand in here today. Many hands went up. And I want us to stretch our hands towards God. See, this isn't just I'm lifting my hands because they say to do that in worship. It's literally lifting our hands towards God. And God, today, we say that we need you. We got places that we run to. There are things that we run from. There are things that we're running around with. There are responsibilities that we have run from. There are certain things that we run to that are not healthy. But today, we're coming to you. Just like in this story, that son came home to his father because we know that we need you. And Father, I just thank you that you receive us with forgiveness and with grace and with mercy. I thank you that you lead us with truth. You correct us with love. But you set our feet on a path that leads us to exactly who you have created us to be. And today, on this Father's Day, we make the decision we're running to you. We're coming to you because we need you as our father. We need more than a judge. We need more than a king. We need a father. And today, we open our arms to you. We open our hearts to you. And in this moment, as your hands are raised, I just want to pray over you. Father, for every person in here, I pray for their relationships with their earthly fathers. For those who have lost a dad that are missing him today, that are hurting, I pray you comfort them. I pray that you would be that loving father, God, and just wrap your arms around them. For those who have a strained relationship with their dad, God, I ask you to intervene and bring healing to that relationship. For those whose dad is perhaps in bad health, maybe not doing too well, and they fear that they may lose him, God, I ask you to be right there in the middle of that. Walk the sons and daughters through all the steps with their fathers. For those who have good fathers, we thank you, God, for that blessing. But Father, regardless of all of that, I thank you that you are a good father. And for every dad in here right now, I pray over them that you will help them to be a good father. Regardless if they had a good father figure or not, I pray, Father, that the relationship we have with you will be so influential on our lives, Father, that it will teach us and train us and guide us to be the dad that you want us to be. And I thank you, God, that there are generations in this house, in this church, generations of God-fearing men generations of fathers that will lead their children, that will lead their homes 
into the plans that you have for them. I thank you, God, that in this house, there are dads that stand with conviction. I thank you that in this house, there are dads that are being healed, Father, from all of the wounds of their own dad. Father, I thank you that in this house today, Father, that you, the Heavenly Father, are speaking into us identity. You're speaking into us purpose and affirmation. Father, you said that you would turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. Today, we stand together as a church and praying for fathers all across our nation. You said that you would be the father to the orphan. Father, there's a generation that needs you as a dad. There's a nation that needs you as a father. I pray that God, pray there will be a return to you, a return to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let me say this as I finish. No matter what, no matter what, no matter what, you can run to this father. No matter what, you can run to him. You got questions, you can run. You angry? You can run. I'll say this, it's better for you to run to that father and vent on him than it is to vent on them. He can handle it, they can't. When you read through the book of Psalms, next time you read through the book of Psalms, I want you to picture a son who's angry about some things. And whenever he's saying, oh, destroy them all, all their animals, all everything, destroy them. That's some dude who's venting. And he's venting to his father. That's why when you read it, you're comforted by it because it's in a healthy place. It's healthy. Church, we got to run to the Father. This isn't religion. This is a relationship. Amen? You heard that over and over today. I hope you gave, I gave you some context for that. we got to go. Jesus, bless every person today. Let this be an incredible Father's Day for all the dads out there, but also all the sons and daughters. We love you. Thank you. Blessings in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.